Good morning. Before I say anything else, we're recording this message, and so uh, this will be shown on our YouTube page next week. So for those of you online, you may notice that it is a little dark today. Uh, our light uh, board went out, and so uh, it's a little dim. We apologize for that. Hopefully, we will get it fixed this week, but uh, just be aware that that's why I look a little shady today. <laughs> Yes, I use those words intentionally. Uh, guys, take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We've been in this series for several weeks. Uh, we have a lot of time left in this series uh, because Revelation's a long book. Um, but Revelation chapter 2, if you're not sure how to find it, I'm going to put a graphic on the screen behind me that gives you some instructions. Uh, luckily, Revelation's pretty easy to find. It's the last book of the Bible, uh, so you shouldn't have too much trouble finding it. Uh, but also, we are in the Bible app. So if you have the Bible app uh, on your device, you can actually locate us in the Bible app, follow uh, the instructions on the screen behind me. And, and through doing so, all of the passages and notes that I'm going to be talking about today are in that app, and it's pretty easy to follow along. So uh, we're there as well. Now, you may know, not know this. I have shared this in the past, but I grew up on a ranch. <laughs> and I feel very comfortable in cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. Uh, growing up, I rode horses. Uh, I actually got to experience driving cattle in what you would think of as an old west cattle drive that took two days. I drove cattle, stayed the night under the stars, and then drove the cattle the rest of the way and then rode the horses home. Uh, you know, it's, you'd never know that by looking at me normally, but I absolutely loved my childhood on the farm. But let me ask you something. If you saw me running around in a cowboy hat, would you think that's the normal attire that Pastor Chad wears? No. If you come on Wednesday nights, I wear my cowboy boots many times on Wednesday nights, uh, but I don't normally wear them on Sunday mornings. And I don't wear my cowboy hat very often. I'll be honest, I probably should wear it more often. I enjoy wearing it, but I just don't. But this is not my normal attire. And so if you saw me out in the community wearing my cowboy hat and my cowboy boots, you might go, why is he wearing that? You might even have the question in your mind, oh, is he trying to be someone he's not? Right? The church that Jesus writes to today had a minor problem. I say minor. It was a major problem. They had a person in their church who was acting like something that they weren't. And in doing so, that person was placing the church itself and all of its members in a dangerous position. And so I want to take us to take our Bibles today. We're going to read Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about this city that this church is located in. So this is the church in Thyatira. So look with me in verse 18. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, 
the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into, onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Churches. So Jesus, uh, remember John has had this vision. He's on the island of Patmos and he sees this vision of heaven. And he's approached in chapter 1 by Jesus himself. And Jesus gives himself, he, he tells John, the many titles of himself. He's this and he's that. And then he says, tell this to the seven churches. And so in chapters 2 and 3, where we're at right now, he gives these seven letters that are addressed to seven churches in that part of the world, what is now modern-day Turkey. Go ahead and throw that map up on the screen behind me uh, that shows the churches in this area. So imagine this is modern-day Turkey. So imagine the Mediterranean Sea. We're talking kind of the northeast corner of that part of the world. These churches are the seven churches that he is writing to. We are studying today the fourth one. So that you see that little dot on the map, that four, that's the city of Thyatira. Now, not a lot is known about Thyatira. It was a small town. Uh, you know, the cities that we've studied up to this point have had over 200 or 100,000 people in their population. Thyatira, it's assumed, only had about 25,000 people. It's the smallest city of the churches that are addressed by Jesus in Revelation, okay? So this is the smallest of all the cities. In, in the uh, archaeological digs that have been done in Thyatira, there's not a lot that's been uh, unearthed, a, a few uh, columns and buildings here and there, and many inscriptions. But Thyatira is not talked about in the literature of this part of the world at this time. In other words, no one really thought much of Thyatira. It was kind of just this little 
podunk town on a trade highway. But Thyatira was known for its trade guilds. I've talked about these many times. In this part of the world, in this day and age, if you were in some kind of craftsmanship career, you would belong to a trade guild. And the trade guild was kind of like the Better Business Bureau of that day and age, or like an Angie's List. So if someone was wanting work done of a specific type, they would go to the trade guild and say, I need this work done or this repair done on this, or I need this garment made. And the trade guild would say, well, I have two guys that actually specialize in that specific type of work. Let me recommend them to you and you can go speak with them and hire one of them. So if you got out of favor with the trade guild, you would lose your business. Nobody would know that you were around, that you did that kind of work, and your livelihood would be placed on the line. Now, in the city of Thyatira, in the archaeological digs that have been done there, there, is more, there are more inscriptions about trade guilds than any other place in all of this region of the world. So apparently in Thyatira, trade guilds were huge. They were big deals. Thyatira did have one thing it was famous for, though. Purple cloth. There was a mineral that was found in the area of Thyatira that you would take and crush up and, and do a special blend and, and dye cloth into this beautiful purple color. And there's a lot of discussion in the inscriptions about the guild that produced the purple cloth. But also, the Bible mentions it. In the book of Acts, Paul comes across a lady named Lydia. And I'll talk about this here in a little bit. Lydia was found in Philippi. And in Philippi, she was washing some clothes and Paul began speaking to her and some of the ladies that were with her, she came to know Christ and she becomes a major supporter of Paul through his missionary work. But it says in the book of Acts, it calls her Lydia of Thyatira. She was one of these women who created, who made purple cloth and probably belonged to a trade guild out of Thyatira. So, Thyatira is this kind of city, small city. Trade guilds were massive influence. Uh, they had a patron god, so they had a temple there. The patron god, this one's interesting. It was an amalgamation. It was a the god was a combination of five gods from the areas around Thyatira. So there is a Greek god, there is an Egyptian god, there is, there's all these gods, and the, the people of Thyatira took these five gods, smacked them together, and created a new god. And that's who they worshipped in this place. Again, not much is known because people just didn't write about Thyatira. This is not a major city. But we do know that there was a church in this town. It's all along a trade route, so that made a big difference. But the big deal that we want to focus on moving forward is that the church belongs here. There is a great church that's in this city. So let's now take the letter that J Jesus writes and has John deliver. Let's take a look at what Jesus says 
to the church in Thyatira. The first thing he says is his title. Uh, I throw up the elements of Jesus' letters to the churches. We've talked about this. In all the letters, the seven letters, there is a basic structure. And Jesus gives uh, his title at the beginning of every single letter, all seven of them. Then he talks about the church's strengths, then the weaknesses, then there's a call to repent, and then he talks about the consequences if they don't repent. Now, there are a couple of churches that Jesus doesn't give a strength because that church is so unhealthy. And there's a couple of churches that he doesn't give a weakness because they are so healthy. But there is a basic structure here. So let's go through this basic structure. The first thing is in verse 18. He gives the title, the, the, the official title of Jesus here. And look at what it says. Verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God. The Son of God. Now, we hear that as followers of Jesus. We hear that phrase often. But in this day and age, this would have been something that pointed them back to something from the Old Testament, specifically Psalm chapter 2. Now, what's interesting about this particular letter, this letter begins with a reference to Psalm 2, and then it ends with a reference to Psalm 2. So we'll talk about that when we get there. But Psalm 2, verse 7 says, you are my son. And so Jesus, through John, is giving himself a title that is from Psalm chapter 2 to point the people of God to his godhood. He is saying, I am God. I'm not just some good prophet or good teacher that came along. I am the son of God. I'm God himself. Look at what else it says. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is another Old Testament reference from Daniel chapter 10. So Daniel 10 verses 5 and 6 say this. I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold of Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. Isn't that what that says right there? Who has eyes like flames of fire? His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of what? Burnished bronze. Isn't that what verse 18 says? And whose feet are like burnished bronze. John, or Jesus through John is making a direct reference to Daniel chapter 10. And what he is saying through this title is that he is the sovereign judge. The, flame, the eyes, the flames of fire, that is an, a, a, a title of reference to judgment, to someone who has the authority to say, you are guilty or you are innocent. And then the, burnish, the feet of burnished bronze, this is assuming that most scholars believe that he is making a reference to the foundation that is found in his purity. Burnished bronze was a strong metal, but it was beautiful also. And it was very valuable. And so imagine the imagery that is being stirred up in the people's minds as they hear this title. He's the son of God 
with eyes like flaming fire, with feet like burnished bronze. He is the purest judge, God himself. Are you with me so far? Now let's move to the next thing, the strength. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your later works exceed the first. This is considered a pretty generic strength. He's not going to anything super specific other than the very last part is unique. And that your later works exceed your first. He's making a point to say you are maturing in your relationship with me. Jesus is making a point to commend them, to encourage them. I know your faith, your love, your works, your patient endurance, and I recognize that you're growing in me because your works today are greater than the works that you did yesterday. He's encouraging and building them up. And then he goes into the weaknesses. Look with me in verse 20, the very next verse. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. So he's making a reference to Jezebel. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Jezebel is one of the greatest uh, enemies of the people of God in the Old Testament. If you read the end of 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings, Jezebel is the wife of a king named Ahab, and he's considered one of the most wicked kings to have ever had the throne over the people of Israel. He did horrible things. If you're familiar with the prophet Elijah, Elijah had head-on battles with Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel threatened to kill him no less than three times and had him hunted down. God protected Elijah through all of that, But Jezebel was a horrible person. As a matter of fact, in 1 Kings 21, 25, it says, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. The idea here is that Ahab was this horribly ungodly king. And the Bible here in 1 Kings recognizes that one of the reasons why he was so ungodly was because of his wife's temptations. And there are many references to Jezebel hunting down the prophets of God and having them killed. There are references to all of the hundreds of people that she put as prophets of Baal and Asherah, these idol gods that the people of Israel were always tempted to to pursue, and that she brought in a lot of ungodly practices into the people of Israel. So this is not a compliment from Jesus. That they are being seduced by this woman, Jezebel. Now, in this passage, he says, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols, she is claiming to be a prophet of God. She is in this church saying, oh yeah, it's okay to worship this idol god in our city. It's okay to practice the sexual immorality that the people 
practice in worship of this idol God, that's fine. It's not a problem. And as, as a matter of fact, go ahead and do it. You'll be blessed if you do it. That's the kind of things that this person is telling the church. And she has deceived many people. She's going around in a disguise. She is claiming to be someone she's not. She's got the accent, and she sure does look like someone that she's claiming to be. But I don't think she's quite who she says she is. Brah, she's so cool. She does exactly what we want to do, man. She's exactly the kind of person that I want to kind of be. <clears throat> She's of the greatest nobility. She says all the right things. She's someone we should listen to. It's funny to put on hats and a disguise, isn't it? But when we do it, I hope that we're not doing it in deceptive ways. I don't put this hat on to make you think I'm someone I'm not. But this woman Jezebel is creating a persona to be someone she's not for the sole purpose of deceiving the followers of God. And hear me clearly, there are multiple warnings throughout the New Testament about false teachers, about those who claim to be followers of Jesus but do not teach the teachings of, of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the warnings against false teachers is found in almost every single book of the New Testament. It's one of the few topics that is repeated by every writer. Every writer does talk and warn against false prophets, but there are a couple of the really small books in the Bible that, that don't make mention of it. But every single New Testament writer warns us about the dangers of false prophets. And that's what's going on here in the church of Thyatira. They've been deceived by someone claiming to be something that she is not. And the issue here is there are people in the church who know she's deceptive and know she's not the, truthfully a, a prophetess, but apparently they're not calling her out and they're not confronting her. And that is one of the big problems here. Uh, think with me for just a moment. What is one of the consistent illustrations for the church that we find in the Bible? That we are the body of Christ. So read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 5. There's, this, this illustration is given many, many, many times. And these illustrations focus on not everybody can be a finger. And the finger's no greater than the eye and things like that. That every one of us, as parts of the body of Christ, we have a purpose. But I would take that illustration one step further and say sometimes... There are cancers in the body of Christ. 
there are people who have infiltrated and their desire is to destroy the body. Their desire is to hurt and pull the members of the body of Christ away from what they're supposed to believe and what they're supposed to do. They're deceptive and they're destructive. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus calls these people wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, think about the illustration of a shepherd. Jesus talked about it all the time. You're, you're a shepherd. You've got all these sheep out in a pasture. What is one of your primary responsibilities? To protect the sheep, right? Because what is out there? There are wolves and lions and bears that would love a, a lamb as an afternoon snack. And Jesus warns us in Matthew 7 that there are wolves that are longing to destroy the followers of Jesus. And they're deceptive. They look like a sheep. They're wearing sheep's clothing. They look like one of us. They kind of sound like one of us. But Jesus goes on to say, you'll know them by their fruit. Paul tells us that that fruit, if you know somebody who's deceptive, who teaches false things from the Bible, those who love to, to create di divisions within the church and create factions, those who are encouraging people uh, to, to pursue sin rather than righteousness, those are the wolves that we have to be careful of. And that brings me to today's big idea, the main point for today, the thing I want you to go home and think about this week, weigh it against Scripture, and then think about how it applies to your life. And the big idea today is this, the wolf wears an attractive disguise while peddling deadly lies. The wolf wants to look in such a way that is attractive to us. And we have to be cautious. We have to be careful. We may look at the wolf that's in our midst, not recognizing what's going on, and we may say, you know what? I really like that hat. And because there's some kind of likability or some kind of connection, we get drawn in. And that deception that the wolf brings infects us. It destroys us, it hurts us, it pulls us away from Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15 say this, And what am I doing, I will continue to do, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. So Paul is making this argument that there are those who claim to have the same mission as Paul, but they don't. And Paul's calling them out. He continues, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. 
The warning that Jesus gives here is that this church has been deceived by a wolf, by a false teacher, a false apostle. This church has been enticed, and they really like what this Jezebel has to teach. It sounds good. It makes their life a little easier. It keeps them away from persecution. They don't have to worry about losing business or their lives getting difficult because they're followers of Jesus. They're just going to worship the idols and live in sexual immorality just like everybody else around them. So then there's the call to repentance. Look at verse 21. I gave her time to repent. That's interesting. This is in past tense, right? I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her immorality. So God has already called her out in some way. He's already given her some kind of conviction or opportunity to repent of what she's teaching and doing. And whoever this individual is has chosen to not follow God and to continue the deceitful practices that she's been practicing. Now look at the consequences. Verse 22. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So there's a negative consequence here. She, her, her consequence has already been decided. She had the opportunity to turn away from her evils, and she chose not to. So her fate, if you want to use that word, has already been decided by Jesus. But he gives an opportunity for her followers to turn away. Look at what he says in the middle of verse 23. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give according to your works. The idea here is that Christ knows everything within us. He knows our desires, our motives, our intentions, our thoughts. And he's calling all of us to turn those thoughts and those intentions and those motives. He's calling us to turn those things to him, right? And look at what happens if we do. Verse 23, or 24. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, do not hold to the teaching of Jezebel, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burdens. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as with earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father." And I will give him the morning star. So there is an opportunity, even if we are in a situation where we have not been following God, or we've been following a false teaching, or even if we've been teaching a false teaching, Jesus gives us the opportunity to turn away from that. Please hear me. There is nothing that you can do to unearn the love of Jesus. Jesus loves all of us, and we are all the worst of sinners, aren't we? 
None of us are righteous. We all fall short of God's glory. And yet, He loves us. He loves us so much that He sent His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not die, but would have eternal life. There's no amount of bad things. There's no amount of sin stacked against you that would make you unqualified for Jesus' rescue, for Jesus' salvation. And maybe you're here today and, and maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never come to that place where you've believed in Him, you've placed your trust in Him, you've committed your life to Him. And please, if you're here and you're like, oh, you know what? Sometimes I feel the weight and the burden of my mistakes and my sins. Sometimes I feel the guilt and the shame of that. Please hear me. If, if you're here and you're feeling that and you've never accepted Jesus, He wants to take all of that off of you. He wants to forgive you of those sins. He wants, you to, he wants to set you free of those sins. He wants to remove the guilt and the shame from those sins and give you a new life in Him. And if you want to know more about that, my name is Chad. I'm going to be right out here in the foyer. Come talk to me or go to the next steps table and we would love to talk to you about what following Jesus looks like and how you can be saved from your sins. Because there's great promise here. He says, rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken into pieces. Remember when I mentioned at the beginning of the message that when Jesus says, I am the son of man, that that comes from Psalm 2? Listen to what else Psalm 2 says. The the. The, the, the reference, uh, not Son of Man, Son of God, the reference to the Son of God is Psalm 2, 7. Psalm 2, verses 8 and 9, the very next passage says, Ask me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of your, the earth your possession. And you shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them to pieces like the potter's vessel. That's exactly what's said here in Revelation. Jesus is quoting Psalm 2 right here. Then he talks about the morning star, that I will give them the morning star. Well, what is the morning star? The morning star is Jesus himself. Listen to Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Revelation twenty-two sixteen says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So when Jesus concludes this particular letter and says, I will give them the morning star, he's quite literally saying, if you will follow me, if you'll turn away from all of that junk, all the sin, all the deception, and you'll follow me, you will receive me. I will give you myself. You can have Jesus. You can have Jesus as your Savior, as your friend, as your Lord, your Master, and all those things. He promises it to us if we endure in our faith and continue following Him. So let me conclude with this question. I will say that 
I am incredibly proud to be the pastor of this church because this is a church that knows God's truth. But if you saw a wolf in sheep's clothing, what would we do about it? That's the question that's laid before us today. If there was a cancer in our body, the body of Christ, what should we do about that cancer? We must always be paying attention. I don't want you to ever hear a message from me on Sunday morning and go home just believing that what I have told you is truth. I hope and I expect that you would go home and weigh everything I've said against this, against the truth of God. Because I don't want any of us to ever be deceived by a wolf and in doing so be caught in a deadly lie. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that your truth can guide us in all things. That we, did, we know how to figure out who the wolves are. We can know that by weighing everything that they say against your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that kind of awareness. That you would help us to always be alert. Help us to know when there's deception taking place so that we can turn away from it and save others from it and call it out as the lie that it is. Help us to know your word so well that the lies become obvious to us. That to be deceived would be difficult because we are so close to you. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. And we lift all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.